And um, some of those traits and practices are our gospel DNA and culture. I watch these men and women just humbly confess and talk about who they were, who they once were, how they met Christ and he forgave their sins, and now they're living for him and they can't wait. They cannot wait to be with him in glory. And I want you to know that as we go through our gospel DNA and culture, last week we heard about humility and we heard about trembling at God's word. And this week we're going to be talking about pursuing godliness. Godliness is a fruit of what happens when the gospel actually affects your life. And so, uh, you know, Sovereign Grace has been going for about 40 years. And every Sovereign Grace church, when you meet these men and women, it seems to me that they are eager to pursue what God has for them. And so I was thinking about how we can actually grow in godliness. And um, the passage that I would like to lead us to is this passage here in Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm going to read these words to us, and then I'm going to pray. Ephesians 5, 1 to 6, it reads like this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who, it is, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, first and foremost, I want to thank you for the amazing opportunity we had to have your truth sung over us. Uh, Lord, you truly are a God who loves your people. And now, as we get to sit under your word, I pray that we would have, it would have its intended effect, that our hearts would tremble in awe and wonder and majesty and gratitude of our great King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Lord, I would ask that you would help me communicate clearly. Bless your saints this morning as we gather together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, friends, when it comes to talking about godliness, I think we can have a couple of tendencies. And one of the tendencies that we might have is to dismiss it rather quickly. <laughs> Who wants to pursue godliness, right? Isn't there grace? Isn't that what the gospel is all about? My sins are forgiven. Like, um, I'm a new creature, and it is exciting. And so we can have maybe a tendency to go, well, godliness, uh, I'm not so keen about pursuing that. Uh, I am keen about pursuing the gospel and learning of all of its mysteries and wonders and, you know, the grace that comes with that. Godliness, like following rules, not, not so sure. Or you might have another tendency or uh, idea, and that is, I want to pursue it. Let's write down and let's figure out what does God want of me, and you begin to take notes, and then you begin to measure and go, oh, I don't, 
out up there, or, oh, actually, they don't do that. Um, so we can have this sort of, we're leaning in to hear what godliness is about, um, but then we could possibly fall under condemnation or self-righteousness. So what I want to start this morning's message off with is a very powerful truth when it comes to salvation. It's not, it comes to us, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's all a work of what our Savior does. And that affects me because I know who I am. And I know what I deserve. But salvation, Christ came towards you. Christ came towards all of us. And so this morning, as we're thinking about pursuing godliness and what Christ has done, would it be that we would see his love for us and want to imitate that love? And so in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters are all about the gospel, all about what Christ has done on our behalf. If you flick over and just read through Ephesians chapter 1, you can see that he chose us from the foundations of the world. Think about that. You sit here this morning with your eyes open in the miracle of grace because before the foundation of the world, he said, you follow me, you're going to be my child. And then he talks about adopting you. Who wants to be an orphan? Who wants to be left alone to figure things out? But he's like, you're no longer an orphan. You are my son. You are my daughter. I died for you. And that is what's so incredible about this letter in the first three chapters. In the back end of these chapters, four, five, and six, we begin to see a new way of existing. Paul wants us, out of our love for God, an amazement of his work in our lives, he wants to call us into a new way of existing. There is a better way. It's not to make your life miserable. It's not so that you don't get to have fun. It's not because he wants to make your life miserable. It's because he loves us so much. There is a better way. And so we're going to see, as we read through these last, chapter, these last three chapters, Paul hammers home a new way of existing. And I want to say something else to you. Faith isn't something that we do with our brain. Brendan just kind of touched on it. It's a transaction of our heart. You got to feel. <laughs> For us guys, some of us, God made me a little bit of a feeler, <laughs> and it could be a problem, but I feel. I am so grateful to God for what he has done for me. And it, when you feel it, it affects every fiber of your being. I mean, guys, probably the best way to relate is, you know how you feel when you're, if you're, when you're with your wife? Like, you just feel that affection and that oh, pleasure. And you, you know, it's, it's, but it's feeling that same sort of sense of this God has transformed my life and rescued me in a wonderful way. And so we have here in Ephesians 5 an invitation an invitation to imitate God as dearly loved children. And so we're going to slowly go through that. My, I thought you go home with anything this morning. It would be that godliness is, godliness is imitating God as dearly beloved children. 
And so I want to thank God for these verses here. And I have three points that I would like us to um, consider. And that is why? Why should we pursue godliness? Secondly, what does godliness look like? And third, how to pursue godliness? So why? Why pursue godliness? The reason why we want to pursue godliness is because we are called to imitate. Where is this invitation to imitate? Now, I don't know if you um, have uh, children or you're a teacher and you're in the classroom and you're trying to get the kids' attention. What do you do? Hands on heads, hands on shoulders, hands on knees. And, you know, you get the class's attention and they're copying what you do. Sometimes I've seen children who can annoyingly copy you and your habits. Um, our older children, they have copied some of our bad habits and we see that in them and then we just, we don't like it. But be, we're called to copy. And I guess what I'm thinking about is what are we supposed to copy from God? What can we copy of God and what can't we copy of God? So we can copy, uh, we can't copy God's omnipresence. We can't copy his omniscience. We can't copy his sovereignty. But however, there are things that we are called to copy and we can copy. And those would be things like his love. We can copy God's love and show that and give that to others. We can copy God's compassion and kindness that he extends to us as dearly loved children. That is something that we can imitate God in doing. We can copy God's forgiveness. (laughs) It is so hard to forgive. It costs you to forgive somebody, just like it costs God a lot to forgive forgive us by his son's own life. But we can copy God, and that's what we want to um, imitate God in doing. But who is supposed to copy God? Well, it says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And I just want us to slow down and talk about it. We've kind of touched on it this morning in our songs. We've kind of talked about it in our notices. We are dearly loved children. You are sitting here this morning because the grace of God has acted. His love towards his children has moved on you. And as his dearly loved children, would it be that we would imitate him? What did he do? In verse 2, it says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. What did Jesus do? He walked in love. Jesus was all about his father's business. He gave himself up to the, to the point of death. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Um, but I wonder, who likes to give themselves up? Honey, can you come and help me? I need this. And you're actually going, no, I can't. I want to continue watching Netflix or my team's playing. I mean, who wants to give themselves up and deny themselves? Um, who wants to um, stay back if their boss is asking them, we got this project, I really need you to stay back. Nobody wants to give themselves up. Who wants to give themselves up um, when, you know, Brendan might call and say, hey, can you serve this or can you do this? Can you help, out, help us out? It, it, it is a giving up of themselves. And that is what Jesus has done. And when you study the cross or when you look at what Jesus has did, we are wanting to reflect and imitate him. It's a self-giving love. That's what we see when we're called to walk in love. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Philippians chapter 2. 
And there are some beautiful verses here that if you're ever kind of thinking, how can I grow in my understanding so that I can imitate Jesus? What did he do for us? I would encourage you to study and look at Philippians 2, 2 verses 5 through 8. And it says this, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Oh, that our pursuit of godliness would see us getting off the road of self-love and imitating Jesus who walked in love all the way to the cross. Now, I want to be clear with you. I am not saying that you need to give up your life like Jesus gave up his life and die on a cross because your death will not necessarily guarantee salvation for other people. But what you can do is you can pour yourself out in love by giving of yourself and by doing and serving others even at the point of uncomfortability. That is something that we can copy and imitate. See, the cross, the cross is not only the greatest illustration of God's love. It is his grace. It's his grace that enables us to get off the road of self-love and walk his path of love. Don't we need his help to do that? I can't in and of myself just get off and go, okay, I'm going to get off. We need God to intervene on us. And no, you won't do it perfectly. And that's why Jesus came for you, to do what we could not do. Our righteousness is seen as filthy rags, but we are seen through Jesus. And so if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and Jesus is your Lord and Savior, ask him to help you to get off the road of self-love and to reflect your Savior. It's worth it. It It is so worth it. And it even says that it's a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. When you see what that effect of Jesus, what he did for his father, it was a fragrant. It's called a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. And so we pursue, um, we pursue uh, uh, godliness, our motivation for godliness. I just want this to be clear. It can't be duty. It won't work, guys. Duty is, is, is sometimes helpful, and yes, sometimes we do things that because we know we need to. But our duty needs to be fueled by love. So if we're serving, we want to serve out of love. Our motivation and our reason for pursuing godliness needs to be love because that's what Jesus did. He loved his Father. He was obedient to his Father. He was committed to laying down his life. Now, in our motivation and our pursuing of godliness, um, we got to be careful that we're not just understanding the rules, 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 rules. Okay, I'm not allowed to do that. I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't do that. It's got to be staring at Jesus and understanding what he did for us. And yet, um, you know, if you're needing motivation... It would be that you are spending, we'll get to looking at what our motivations can be and how we can change our motivations. But I want you to hear that God's grace comes before godliness. Um, our actions um, are in response to what Christ has already done for us. So we don't get right with God, please hear me. You don't get right with God by obeying biblical instructions, right? We get right with God in Christ alone. 
Christ is the one who has done the work on our behalf. So just because we do, we do it out of a love, not so that we can get right. Now, if you think back to your before Christ and you think back to what all the things that you wanted to do, um, when Christ acts on your heart, he begins to change you. Um, before I became a Christian, I had different desires. I had different wants, and they weren't things that were lined up in Scripture. But as Christ acted on my heart, my desires changed. I wanted to love others. I wanted to serve others. And I learned that apart from God's grace, there isn't a pursuit or motivation for godliness. Let me say that again. Apart from God's grace. There's not going to be a pursuit or motivation for godliness. So what that means then is we can't expect those who haven't received that grace to pursue godliness. Unless God acts, we can't pursue it. So in humility, this helps us as followers, as dearly loved children, because apart from the cross, we would not have a desire for godliness. Okay, so godliness, God acts on our hearts first. So we pursue godliness because God acted in grace and he changed his children. And I thank God that he changed me and he's changed others. Changed children equal changed actions and attitudes and desires. It's beautiful. Can you think of someone, just quickly, who has been changed by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? How beautiful is it to hear testimonies of people in baptisms. How beautiful is it to hear new members say, why I want to come to church? That's God at work in them. God acted in them first. And then out of that, there's this beautiful fruit that comes. So the fruit of saving works results in a desire to imitate God as dearly love children. So what then does um, godliness look like? But what I wanted to do is I wanted to take us through verses 3 to 6 of um, Ephesians here. And um, I want to point out some things to you that maybe you hadn't quite seen before. But what does a lifestyle of imitating God and walking in godliness look like? Well, let's look at these verses 3, 5, and 6. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Um, in, these th- in these two verses here in Ephesians 5, I think what we see is three categories of sin, and this is not all there is to say about sin, but instead we actually th- see three types of sin. We see an action, We see a desire, and then we see speech. And so in these verses, we see this action of sexual immorality. But sexual immorality and all impurity and impurity of covenants should not be among you. But let's look at this sexual immorality or this impurity. I think it's very important for us to understand as brothers and sisters in Christ, as members of the family of God, I think it's really important that you understand something. Sex is a gift from God. Sex is actually a beautiful act that takes place between a man and a woman. And that is to be shared. It's to be celebrated. But what happens is we as Christians, for some reason, go, and it makes us feel uncomfortable and awkward. And yet, we got to stop and pause and go, wait a minute. 
Who designed this? Who is this about? Where did it come from? Um, in Kevin DeYoung's book here, on page 108, if you get a chance to read Whole in Our Holiness, I think you would really enjoy this and be well served. But in regards to this around sexual impurity, he says this, In the Old Testament, when a good king would take over in Israel or Judah, he would rid the land of idols and false religion, and God would be pleased. But often, even with the good kings, we find that despite much progress, the high places were not taken away. These were the various sites in Israel where people would would do sacrifices and rituals, the kinds that the other nations performed. The high places were a symbol of Israel's compromise. The high places were so enriched in the culture, they seemed so normal that even the good kings did not think to remove them. Or, if they did, they couldn't muster the courage to act on their convictions. The high places were kind of like blind spots. The people couldn't see what what they represented. They were so common, so ordinary, so much in keeping with the way things were that the kings didn't tear them down and the people didn't stop worshiping there. Sexual immorality is one of our high places. I'm afraid we, and there is an I in that we, don't have the eyes to see how much the world has squeezed us into its mold. If we could transport Christians from almost any other century to any of today's Christian countries in the West, I believe what would surprise them most, besides our phenomenal affluence, is how at home Christians are with sexual impurity. If it doesn't shock us, It doesn't upset us. It doesn't offend our consciences. In fact, unless it's really bad, sexual impurity seems normal, just a way of life, and out and downright entertaining. And so it is. See, the Gentiles in Ephesus, they had a different sexual ethic. It was a free-for-all. They had prostitutes outside the temple. They would have full-on orgies. Like, it was getting pretty, hmm, how's your father? It was not good. And Paul goes into Ephesus, and he begins to explain, God has a better way. God has a better way for his dearly loved children to live. In fact, I want to read another thing to you, which is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I'm going to start at verse 13b. Listen to these holy inspired words that we've been given. Is that me? Am I doing something? Is that humming? The body, the Bible says, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the, the Lord and will also raise up us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. 
But do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. These are divinely inspired words, friends. And my question would be to you, what is informing your view of sex? Is it the world? Is it the Bible? Is it your feelings? I would plead with you as your pastor, please submit to the holy words of God. This action, sexual immorality, sex outside of a marriage between a man and a woman, is not to be named among the saints. We see another type of sin here in verse Four, uh, verse 3, excuse me, and it talks about covetousness. So we saw an action with sexual immorality, and now we see we come to a desire, a desire of coveting, a desire, greed. It kind of means greed, desiring what others have. This is another way that the Ephesians, that Scythians can pursue sin is by coveting a desire to have the things that others have and not be content with what God has given us. Um, I remember uh, uh, when the kids were younger, you know, we had seven kids and we would go to the mall and it would be hard. I mean, it gets expensive buying everybody a Happy Meal and it gets expensive buying everybody something at the shops. And so um, we were listening and looking out for wisdom on how to help ourselves and help our kids because they, you know, the shops, they're studying us and they want to know what's attractive to us and what's going to sparkle and bling. And so, you know, <laughs> you go into the shops, they're, you know, they're trying to make things look good and your wants, wanter wants them. And so um, we heard somebody talk about a wanter switch. And so before they would go into the shops, they would actually ask their children or say to their children, and because they were preaching to themselves as well, but they would remind you, we're going to go in. And our desire is going to go, I have to have that. And your kids are going to, I want, I want, I want, I want. And, you're like, mm. um, and then you, you know, you're, you're kind of trying to actually go, how do I help my child and help my heart? And we would stop and ask the Lord to turn off our wanter switch. So that way, when we went into the store, we knew what we were going to get. And then we could come home joyfully, content that God has given us what he wants us um, to have. And so I think are we living in such a way as contentment or are we coveting? And we're getting a warning here because the Lord loves us and Paul loves the Ephesians. He's wanting to point out we, have a, we, can, we can covet things that are not right. So Jesus teaches us in Luke 12, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Friends, your possessions, they will not satisfy you. And I want to caution you that you will be tempted to think that pursuing godliness isn't going to dazzle you the way that um, co you know, coveting things will. So be on guard, guys. Be on guard. Think about the actions and the desires that are not to be named among us. And then we hit, in verse 4, speech. So we have action, desire, and here's speech that Paul is addressing. And he's saying, 
Let there be no filthiness, nor foolishness talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. What is Paul getting at when he's talking about a filthiness? I mean, I want you to picture a sewage. I want you to picture smelly, dripping pipes of feces. Like, it is rank. You might see toilet paper. I think you guys know, a couple years ago, our downstairs got flooded with the sewage. It was disgusting. That is filthy. It stunk. It was disgusting. That is not supposed to be like our speech. People should not go, ugh, that stinks. That's bad. Please be cautious, Paul's warning us. No filthiness. No vulgar, lewd, or perverted speech should be named among us. Then Paul talks about foolish talk. Now, this is kind of the speech of fools. This is fools not lacking intelligence necessarily. They lack the fear of God. Oh, the fear of God would inform our speech. The fear of God is going to inform our hearts, and what he desires of us. So please, careful with your foolish talk. A foolish talk mocks and ignores God's law. That is not to be among us. And Paul says crude joking. Now, this crude joking is like a, a humor with sexual overtones. Taking something sacred, something special, something private, and cheapening its value. It ought not be done among us. Let me ask you something further to our speech and the way that we talk. If God's beloved children are forbidden to act in this way and to speak in this way, ought not listening to such things be considered? TV, viewing, internet searches, Facebook videos, TikTok, It's all around us. God knows, and he's divinely placed us here and given us the spirit of the living God within us. But we need to be on guard, and we need to be careful what we're listening to and what we're saying. Filthy, foolish, crude things are out of place. There is good news for those who will hear. And that is this. Grace changes us from the inside out. Changed hearts equal changed vocabulary. Are you here this morning and the Holy Spirit is perhaps prompting you to reconsider your speech, your viewing, your pursuit of the things that he doesn't want for his beloved children? I plead with you this morning, repent. Change Ask the Lord. And that voice that you hear inside, that again is God acting on you first in his kindness through his divinely inspired word. And he offers you such great forgiveness. I am a recipient of such forgiveness. But behold, we have a divine warning, which I would hope that every single one of you will tremble at his word. Look with me at verses five and six. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure 
or who is covetous, that is, an, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Is there anyone here this morning suffering? Are you suffering because you are ignoring God's voice? I would pray this morning that you would see it a kind word from the Lord and you would be so sobered. Sobered by the reality that ignoring God equals no inheritance with him. You will be forever separated. Do you know those in your circle that God has put in your life that this is their pending fate? It is a sobering reality that God's holy and righteous wrath is going to happen again. It was poured out on his son at Calvary, but there is a day of judgment coming. Would we be sobered and respond to the invitation of the Holy Spirit to repent and believe and to turn from those ways? And just to be clear, I'd love for you to look at verse 5 because it's important that we understand this. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is right now practicing sexual immorality or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance. It seems to me that Paul is saying in Ephesus that if you are currently living like that, you are not following Christ. You wouldn't be a believer. There is another way, and I would like to tell you about that. So repent and believe. But be you, the invitation to be an imitator of Christ is available because of his love for you. But I would fearfully plead with you this morning that if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you speak to me or Brendan or Dave, because we would love to tell you why it is so significant that you turn and bend your knee to him. He is a Savior, and he will rescue you. I'd want you to also note the warning here that is loving. This is not a harsh God sitting on his throne. I don't know what your image of God is if you know him. Uh, or have an idea of him, I want you to know he's not sitting on his throne waiting for somebody to do something wrong and push the button and say, hell for them. That is not like God. This right here, this holy word, is a voice of him calling out, saying, come, repent and believe. Oh, he is merciful and he is good, but I want you to know he is holy and just and his judgment is coming. Do not fear being his voice. But God does provide a son who satisfies his wrath towards sin and that way makes a way for us to be at peace with him and offers us into a relationship to be with him. I would love for you to turn over to Hebrews chapter 10 if you have your Bibles there. Hebrews chapter 10, 22 and 23 where he says, the author says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. If you are here and you are sinning in these ways, I would encourage you, draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. 
Your hearts will be sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and your bodies washed with pure water. Then you hold fast the confession of your hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He is a forgiving God who forgives and sprinkles, and you can have a full assurance, but there is also, friends, be warned, you can have a false assurance. There is a false hope that can be had. God's wrath is real, and I would not want you to be deceived. The verse says, uh, let no one deceive you, verse 6, with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Sons of disobedience, obey the, the father of lies. Sons and daughters of God are dearly loved children, and they pursue and they obey. They pursue godliness, and they o- obey him. First John chapter 1 There's some beautiful words that I think are very, very worthy of your consideration, not just this morning, but as you walk through your life with Jesus. And it says these things, whoever says I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which we, he walked. As members of sovereign grace, as dearly loved children, we say we love him, so we want to pursue what he has done. We want to imitate him in that. You see, the opposite of love of self is a love for God, and it expresses itself in obedience, which is godliness. Please, friend, see it as a privilege to pursue godliness. So instead of impurity and sexual immorality, pursue purity. Instead of coveting idolatry, see Christ as Lord and as your provider. Practice, practice being godly and being content. Because you know what? The fruit of contentment will be generosity and a joy in God. Instead of speech that is filthy and tears others down, would your lips be filled with praise and thanksgiving? Would we be men and women? Would we be a church that are eagerly seeking to build one another up? Oh, that reflects, that imitates, that copies our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, how then do we pursue godliness? Friends, I think I've said it again, and I want to bring it home. This is very important as you hear a message about pursuing godliness. God acts first in his kindness towards us. And we need the power of Jesus to change. So the process of becoming more like Jesus needs to be understood as sanctification. You're being made like Jesus. When your desires change, when your appetite changes, oh, would you see that as God's love towards you? Would you see that as a warm invitation? I have a better way. He is good. His ways are best. 
And so when you pursue godliness, see it as a means of sanctification, a way of growing, becoming more like Christ. Now here is the warning, or here is the reality. Sanctification takes effort. (laughs) Excuse me. Sanctification is work. We get to do something. And our effort and our pursuit must be done out of love and not duty. Okay? So sanctification, how are we going to pursue godliness? Well, if you look over at Ephesians chapter 4, there are three beautiful verses that I'd love to put before your eyes as you consider putting, um, pursuing godliness. And verse 22, we read, to put off our old self, which belongs to our former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So we are wanting to, how do you pursue godliness? Put off our old self and our old desires. Do you this morning, by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, recognize you need to put off actions or desires or speech? Friends, confess it. Lord, thank you for showing me this morning that you are not pleased with my speech. You're not pleased with my desires. Lord, forgive me. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that Christ died for my sins, that you will make me more like you. One day, Lord, I will not only be with you, but I will be like you. And oh, the joy that we will share. But Lord, help me until then to continue to desire being godly. Put off that old self. Put off those old ways and allow the gospel to inform you and your prayers. Perhaps you sit here this morning and think, sounds really good, Patrick. You seem really emotional and quite interested into this. But, you know, I'm not quite there. So what can I do? Well, I would encourage you, you might need help getting to the dressing room, and that's okay. We're all in different processes and stages. But if you're interested in kind of considering how, how do I get to the dressing room, maybe you ask somebody to help you go, you know what, do you, do you think you could kind of tell me what's it like for you? How has God met you? I'm kind of working through some things, and I really don't know how to put off my old self. Ask somebody to help you to understand and see and, and, and ask them to show you what God says to you. Another way that you can put off your old self is inviting other people. Have you ever been in that situation where, and maybe this is just revealing my um, judgment, um, but have you ever noticed people come in and you love them dearly and what they're wearing just doesn't look good? Or, you know, or do you ever notice that somebody really stinks and you're just thinking, I'd really love to tell them that they stink, but how do I do it? Well, it happens. And, 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 and the way that we can really find out, do we have good eyes on ourselves? Is my new self really appearing or are they seeing fruits of my old self? Ask them, does this look good? Does this smell? Find people you trust and you love. Does my life seem to be filled with new self? Am I filled with the fruit of the Spirit? Or do you actually see fruits of the flesh? My attitude, the way I respond, invite other people in. And another thing to be cautious of and to think through when you're putting off your old self is don't let fear stop you. Sometimes you can be aware, I'm looking at pornography and my wife is going to be devastated. She's probably going to leave me. She probably won't ever want to speak to me. Or if my husband finds out that I've been having this conversation with this guy and it's not a helpful conversation and he's going to be mad at me, 
There's no way I'm going there. Don't let fear stop you. There is no sin that God will not forgive. Rejecting him, but do not reject his invitation. There is hope. There is opportunity for change. So please don't let fear stop you when you're putting off the old self. Let Jesus drive you to put, let the love of Jesus, excuse me, drive you to put off your old self. God, I don't care what it costs me. I just want to be like you because of what you've done for me. So talk to him. Talk, talk, talk to God in your head, in your heart, in your mind. Maybe you want to journal it out, write it out. Lord, I'm really struggling with this. I want to deal with this. Um, help me <laughs> in time to expose this because I need help. I'm not being victorious in this. I need possibly somebody else to walk with me in this, but journal it out. Have some hard conversations. Ask people to help you. That is a way of putting off your old self. Well, what about the next part in these verses in 22? Turn, cast your eyes on verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Our minds are active and our, and our thoughts run a million miles a minute and we think this and that sounds good. Oh, we listen to the radio and we think that sounds, oh, I'll try that. And then before you know it, you're actually moved so far away from what God actually wants for us. So this is not kind of an academic exercise. Rather, it's a straightening of your spiritual head or your philosophy or your reasoning. Renew your mind. Now, you might be able to just, you know, okay, I'm going to take that off and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get new clothes. But you need a reason why. Why are you putting off the old self? Why are you going to put on new things? Your mind, your conscience, your conviction needs to change. And so give yourself to renewing a, 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 a reason for pursuing godliness. Are you, have you just kind of let a zeal for pursuing godliness go to the wayside? Why? How did you get there? Oh, would it be that you would kind of reinform your mind and your heart and your reason as to why? Here are some um, things that might help you in that ways that I find reshape my mind is by reading. Uh, so if you are looking for some great resources, J.I. Packer's A Quest for Godliness, it's the Puritan vision of the Christian life, some really great helpful things that help us model, uh, be mo uh, passionately modeling a love for Jesus by, through the Holy Spirit. Worldliness, resisting the seduction of a fallen world. Now, you, you need to read these books knowing that this is um, from my homeland in America. And, you know, us Americans, we do some things well, we do some things. Uh, and this would be one of those things. There's some really great things in here. But have a conversation with somebody. Have, uh, read this book with somebody and let it inform you. Maybe you might not agree with all of that, but the heart of what we're getting at here is a warning. Worldliness, it's a problem. Materialism, it's kind of highlighting things that your conscious, your mind may have never considered, and yet... It's a way to pursue godliness. Hole in Our Holiness would be another great resource for you to think through as you renew your mind. And friends, we've got our um, a reading list. I'm not sure if you're aware we have a reading list um, that is available that you might want to just inform your brain and your mind and your heart and your conscience and take real uh, intentional moments to pursue godliness. And finally, verse 24 says, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and in holiness. Think about that for a minute. You're an image bearer of the Most High God. 
and we're called to imitate him and reflect him. So, as an image bearer, put on the new self. And this is a vital key in pursuing godliness. What will fuel your love? What will fuel your love so it doesn't feel like a duty? I wonder if more reading, studying, conversations, I wonder if listening to music might help you as you're thinking of putting on the new self songs. My wife puts on music in our home, um, and we sometimes the kids, we were rehearsing the other night, you know, kids' songs that they remember us playing for them. Um, but, you know, when you're putting on the new self, you've got to um, make different choices. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to watch that. I'm not going to view that. So you want to make sure and consider putting on the new self Put, imagine it as you're selecting your clothes from your wardrobe. What am I going to put off? What am I going to put on? I don't want to put that on. I don't want to listen to that. I want to listen to things that are going to actually be imitating my Heavenly Father. And so consider then, what is being played in the car, on the radio, at home, what TV shows are watching? Are they filthy? Foolish talk? What's happening? Friends, godliness is a pursuit to imitate God out of gratitude, not duty. So, just by way of conclusion, the opposite of self-love is a love for God that expresses itself in obedience, which then equals godliness. Is it something you want? Oh, would we be men and women that instead of impurity and sexual immorality, we seek purity. Would it be that instead of coveting and um, greed, that we see Christ as Lord? He's our provider. And we're practicing contentment and rehearsing and testifying of God's provision. Because you know what? The fruit of contentment will be generosity and joy in God. He's provided so much for us. And instead of speech that is filthy and tears others down, would it be that we are men and women whose lips are filled with praise and thanksgiving and that we build others up. Church, would we tremble at God's call? Would we be marked at sovereign grace, Warunga, as godly men and women, recognizing he changes us? He sent a savior for us. And because of that, we want to be intentional about imitating his mercy and his love. Amen. Let me pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to gather as your people and consider your words, not just consider with ear, but to actually have your Holy Spirit, invite your Holy Spirit to change us so that we would be more like you. Oh, God, forgive us for the ways in which we love ourselves so much that we ignore you Lord, if there is any man or woman here this morning who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, would they sense your call to follow them, an invitation to follow them, you. And Lord, for those of us that are here and maybe are sensing the conviction of the Holy Spirit that our actions and our desires and our speeches aren't actually that of a beloved children. We're not properly imitating you. Lord, would we draw near to the cross? Would we joyfully allow your love to fall on us? 
and then would you sprinkle us white again? Lord, you can't love us anymore if we are justified, but you will make us to be more like you. And we long for that. And we want to be men and women who are marked as pursuing godliness, imitating our Savior. So thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.